What do you get when you combine a licensed professional counselor who loves lifelong physical fitness with a strength and conditioning coach who loves mental development? You get Jonathan Pishner and Jerry Hanley, two guys who love to help you find ways to fix problems that will improve your life through what they call asymmetric habits, specific changes you can make with outsized payoffs. Hello and howdy doodly, everybody. If you're listening to this live, uh, happy good morning to you guys. Um, welcome to Asymmetric Habits with myself, Jerry Hanley, your uh, friendly neighborhood strength coach. And of course, my good, great, dear friend, Jonathan Pishner of Apex Counseling, a licensed therapist and counselor for so many folks. Um, today, we're talking about impending doom. I just wanted to say that for so long in an official capacity. Um, but actually, we're talking about... Uh, legitimately impending doom, but feelings that basically cause that when they really shouldn't, but just, you know, we're human. We have um, a lot of times we can just experience emotions at much greater degrees than are, are needed, so to speak. But this came up in talking to JP about just different senses of insecurity that can come up when, you know, like just little, well, yeah, little security blankets or little foundations we have, et cetera, may not go exactly as planned or as hoped. And it creates, you know, little like, yeah, stress, maybe a little bit of a poor situation for a while. But we naturally tend to jump so far forward into what if this is the beginning of a terrible trend, worst case scenarios. I said some such as, you know, bad financial months or bad financial stretch. What if this means that you're going to be in trouble for a long time, keep losing money? Or when you have a couple of bad workouts at the gym, what is going on? Like, why, why am I getting weaker? So just the overall human ability to uh, catastrophize. Or I probably did not say that right. Catastrophize. Uh, no, no, actually, that's a word in, the, in psychology, catastrophizing. <laughs> so you... Well, you, you you made it up after someone else did, but you, you're good. Awesome. Yeah, I knew it was close, but I wasn't exactly sure of a very syllable in it. But again, going to hand it over to JP a little bit so he can talk about the nuances of impending doom. Well, well for, first, let's comment on, uh, uh, I don't think we really intended this, but uh, uh, the idea of doing the what's essentially the Halloween podcast on impending doom seems uh, somehow nice. appropriate. So I, I kind of wish we planned for it a little better. And it wasn't just a coincidence. Um, so, you know, th this this show is going to be not for whenever there's an actual honest to God, like destructive event coming at somebody. This is going to be for uh, whenever relatively minor negative events uh, will provoke a much greater negative emotional response than they necessarily deserve. The trouble is figuring out that it's a much greater emotional response than it deserves because the way this usually comes about for many people that experience it is because they will experience some fairly minor setback or or negative event or uh, you know just something that is less than ideal but it's centered around something they care deeply about. And what will happen then is since it's a, a negative event around something they care deeply about, 
And especially if it's something they've worked a ton of time for, mm. uh, all of our primal safety systems seem to really easily get triggered by it. Uh, matter of fact, here's a classic example that very nearly any, uh, any person who's done athletics will, will know about. That first day where whatever attribute you've been working on, your strength, your speed, you uh, start getting to the peak of your abilities and you know maybe last week you benched 315 and today you can only bench 305. Mm -hmm. Almost anyone who's done athletics has had that happen and almost anyone who's done athletics then immediately <coughs> starts to freak out uh, because they think, oh, what's happened? What did I do wrong? You know, did, did I did I forget to eat right? Did I not hydrate? Have I not been training hard enough? And, and the thoughts start. You know, oh God, you know, uh, am I training wrong? Is this mean when I hit when I have the game next week that I'm gonna? And by the time most people realize that they're starting to get into a negative state, they've already gone so far down that rabbit hole that that it can be a little difficult to climb out. Matter of fact, I have no doubt that uh, one of your jobs as a strength coach is as soon as you see somebody start to have that response is to be no calm down it's okay your <clears throat> fact that you are 10 pounds lighter on your squat this week is not some sort of horrifying terrible thing I, I assume you probably have that oh yeah a ton of it and that has given me actually some good um some good topics for people in, in this show yeah. So, but, uh, you know, take it off of athletics. I'll just select that one because uh, that's one that so many people have access to, but this can happen in jobs. You know, you work so long to get that promotion and just one day your boss is in a bad mood and makes a frowny face at you. And suddenly the thoughts start like, Oh God, you know, I'm not doing something wrong. Uh, it can be around money. Go, you know, for heaven's sake, it can be around money. Uh, you know, love relationships, almost anything you put a ton of time, ton of time and effort into that negative event can trigger an avalanche of thoughts that really make you feel like the whole house of cards is coming down. Mm, absolutely. I feel like the other like finances I personally feel are probably, probably the one that most people will deal with at some point in time in their life. And also one just a lot of people can understand and relate to. Uh, especially, you know, like things aren't the easiest when it comes financially for anybody right now. And I feel like some of the daily stuff, especially again, funny that we're coming up like into the second half of fall and winter, you know, this is one time frame when a lot of bills start to rise up and it could be, it could be as again, something as basic as, you know, you budget out, check the check, you have your monthly expenses and then that power bill or the gas bill comes up. 250 percent what it has been lately uh something like that and you know utility companies aren't the uh known to be the easiest to work with when it comes to changing like what they charge you and you know something like that or you know car trouble you know like things are finally you finally feel like you're getting up on your feet and boom something goes wrong with your car again a eight hundred thousand fifteen hundred dollar repair something like that and that just hits a lot of people really hard it can very easily and quickly like basically make you roll backwards down like down that hill you just climbed up from uh i really like how you pointed out how it really comes like so often it comes from 
things that you either care deeply about or have worked really hard for. And that's why I think finances is a big one for a lot of people. Like you, you literally work, you, you try to come up, you, you know, try to get your, your feet on solid ground. And then those unexpected expenses happen. You know, it always seems to be at the wrong time because there's never a right time. <laughs> and it just <clears throat> makes it a lot harder for people to feel like they're ever going to get back up for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Although um, for, for today, uh, I'm going to make a clear distinction because there, there are some people who are actually in a financial situation where yep. one bill coming in too high is, is an actual destruction event. This is not going to contain a lot for those people. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very true. It, it, uh, it will contain some for people who like are in a financial situation and one bill coming in high can be like bad, but not destroy everything. Like, like uh, people will be able to get some out of that from this show. And then uh, uh, for people get the most benefit today, at least will be the ones where it's like, it really is just a negative mind state uh, mm -hmm. and, and they're, they're kind of far away from any sort of real destruction event. Um, so yeah, I, I want to make sure people ain't waiting. I want to make sure people ain't waiting to hear us say, okay, how do I handle the $1,500 car bill? Cause the <laughs> right, advice yeah. is not coming today. I don't think. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately not. Um, yeah, my, my, uh, I, but I, I do get that. My car is a jealous mistress. Uh, you know, if, if she feels like I ain't been paying enough attention to her, then she'll uh, make me make me spend money on her. <laughs> um, so like you mentioned, like so like we've been talking, a lot of this is about the mindset and the emotional aspect to it. Uh, so I feel like when you have these events, um, again, the, the shift you into this mindset, to me, you know, even as an outsider, like uh, it seems pretty similar to like a grief cycle. And like, I'm actually just curious, like, is that actual, is that a semi-accurate idea of it? Or like where that first moment you feel is like a, yeah, like a sadness, panic, whatever. And then you go through different stages or, or is there like a better way to, to handle these responses? Uh, you know, actually that, that, that's it in that you will experience similar emotions. That's not wrong. Cause you can, cause, cause your, your primary, uh, your primary grief emotions are shock, anger, sadness, uh, and guilt. So honestly, you can, you can experience a lot of the same emotions. The nice thing is grief is you, you can't disrupt it really. Uh, it's got to work itself out some, cause like you can't, you can't kind of talk yourself out of feeling sad that grandma died. You can talk yourself out of the sense of impending doom a, a great deal of the time. Uh, the further the further you are uh, away from it in an objective sense. So yeah, it's not wrong that, that you'll experience the same emotions. I hadn't really noticed that, but that that is, I would say that's accurate. Okay. So um, so how would you say that for most people recognizing that it is a objectively relatively minor situation that they're in, what would be like one of the, in essence, like the top go-tos to make that analysis and realize that objectively things aren't as bad as, as your emotions are telling you? Uh, all right, so so th there's a section of this that is is difficult until people get the hang of it, and there's there's not a lot of cool ways to to describe it that helps people. But but part of it is if you get into a panic state and, and a dread state, and, and there's there's really uh, high emotion states, 
one of the things to do that, that's just for anything, it's not even for today's topic, it's just for everything, is, is really trying to catch yourself and, and, and examine, does this deserve the emotion I'm putting on it? And, and what, what really is the thing uh, that is hard to get is, is creating a habit around that. Like, so if, I'm, if I see something happening in my business or in, uh, uh, in a client case or something, I'm starting to have really big emotions. I now have the habit of, okay, I, I immediately examine, wait, I'm getting upset about this. Is this a thing that deserves a lot of upsetness? Is, is this a thing that really is the terrible situation that my emotions are trying to tell me it is? And of course, 99% of the time is the answer is no. It is not the terrible, awful, horrible, scary thing that our emotions are trying to tell us it is. And so what you're, in a way, what you're doing is you're trying to get your thinking brain back into the, the equation. That's the hard part is like creating a habit in each individual situation. You're, you're kind of trying to wrench your brain into thinking about, is this worth dreading? Uh, so, you know, I gave the athletics example. Uh, I'll give one that, that uh, a lot of people experience, which is, um, you know, the they start getting uh, really into their career and then they start looking for that next promotion and the pay doesn't go up. That's, that, that's about as mild a negative event as you can possibly have, especially if you're making relatively enough money. Uh, and what they'll start to do is get either a sense of panic or a sense of dress, some kind of impending doom of like, oh God, have I peaked? Like what's happening? And they'll start to really invest in that emotionally. Whereas what you would then encourage that person to do, especially if you're there to whisper in their ear right at the moment is, hold on, is this really a destruction event? Is this really something that is, that is a signal that everything is coming off the rails? Because if you're bouncing from a $95,000 job to a $95,000 job, especially if you're in a place where that's good money, where's the doom? Where's the destruction? That, that there's, there's none. Like you're, you're doing okay. All you did was you, you didn't get a pay bump, but since our emotions will want to tell us like, oh my God, this is so terrible. It's almost hard to wrench our mind back into that objective voice and, and view it in that way. Once you get good at it, it becomes very easy. But the first five or six times you're doing this, it feels difficult but it also feels wrong because our emotions are so insistent upon how terrible it is so, so the, that's the first part but it's also the hardest part right man at risk of taking this down a tangent that you might have to pull pull it back into it's like this actually i started to wonder how much of this if any of this is um i don't like the term but like a first world first world problem like, you know, almost like a problem because um, but because we're in a time of plenty compared to, you know, human existence. Like so many of these of these things, like you said, like going from ninety five thousand to ninety five thousand, just in that example, you know, aren't necessarily experiences that have been around a ton of time um, for for people, for society. So like, I, I just wonder if these smaller like these smaller objective things causing larger emotional actions existed in say like 1500 like 1543 fiefdoms in europe 
<laughs> well, that, that's actually a good question. And I mean, with, with no meaningful way to study it, all I can, all I can tell you is my guess. Uh, but my guess is that there's a lot to that because um, one of the things you'll, you'll notice about uh, any sort of thing that we would address in counseling the more of a first world problem it is, the easier it is to deal with, uh, because yeah. I can help people not worry about the idea that like they're, they'll never, ever be good at anything. It's hard, it's hard to find a human being who actually cannot become good at anything. That's hard. Uh, it is very difficult to help somebody move to a place of feeling okay when they are actually in horrible situations. Like, like you know, if, if we are trying to work with a child who's actually honest to God experiencing child abuse, that's yeah. that's almost impossible to try and move them to a state of wellness because it's not available. So what you're saying is right. Uh, the, more, the more you're in a good situation, the more a sense of impending doom is actually a first world problem. But my assumption is that evolutionarily, we, yeah, I mean, I mean, back uh, in 1000 BC, we had societies, but our problems had a tendency to be binary. It was either nothing or death. Yep. Because, like, remember, before modern medicine, a scratch on your arm could kill you from infection. Uh, you know, when you were out walking in the woods, a single animal attack could kill you. Uh, if you broke your arm and couldn't work well too bad you can't eat you know you're not going no, nobody's going to uh let you eat because you're not working for them you die like everything was if there's a problem you have a strong strong uh, uh a strong possibility of dying so we don't have easily it can be developed but but we don't naturally have balanced emotions that can can't kind of easily categorize like oh yes here is a very minor problem so i will have very minor upsetness about this we will tend to want to turn whatever our biggest problem is into a life or death problem uh and that includes stupid stuff like if if your biggest problem is that the jones's lexus is bigger than your lexus your brain will try very hard to turn that into a survival problem and give you a terrible sense of impending doom Yep. <laughs> it really sounds so ridiculous when we talk about it, but that's exactly how it works. Oh, um, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, humans, humans are wonderfully adaptable, but there's some stuff that we, we are no longer designed for the society we live in. Uh, <laughs> yep. It's funny because there are so many things where I, I do feel like I'm on the other side of, of the fence that so many people like live in where there are a lot of things that I do compare to. All right. Like most recent hundred years, all of existence before then, how big of a deal was it then? All right, so suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> it's like like that that actually is present in a lot more of my decision making than it probably should be. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that, it, it's actually really, really good because I was already going to say what step two was to help people with this. Since you just handed me that, I'm just going to deconstruct it and tell you what you're doing right because. Cool. It, it it sounds it, it sounds like it's overly simplified, but it's not. You're doing something quite correct, which is uh, if we deconstruct what you're doing, you have found a way to detect how close am I actually to destruction. 
and you know you you kind of shorten it and you shortcut it but but that's what you're doing so let's take let's take uh the situation where somebody gets a, a great big you know bill that they weren't expecting like a two thousand dollar uh you know utility bill or something or a car bill but that but they they're still financially stable and they, they still have money and everything uh when they get that sense of impending doom they mistrust it first because that was step one right Step two is, okay, how far away from destruction am I actually? Well, okay, I've got 2000 in the bank to cover this bill. This is not ideal. Even if a second one comes in like this, I can still cover it. And, you know, how far, how many of these would actually have to come in before I'm selling my house or just being kicked out because I can't pay the mortgage and I'm living in a cardboard box under the bridge? How many steps away am I actually? And when people start deconstructing that, usually they're 20, 30, or 40 steps away from any kind of actual destruction. Uh, and that's what you've done. You've said, okay, 100 years ago, would this have really been a big problem? This has been a survival scenario. Is it today? Oh, no, it's not a survival scenario. Destruction is actually somewhat distant. And then your second phrase, suck it up, buttercup. What you're saying is basically you're finding a way to be dismissive of that negative thought you're being dismissive of like look this is not real and you're just talking to yourself in a way that you connect with that helps you be dismissive towards it and remove its emotional power so so actually you've you've crafted what what i would have essentially told you to craft you just did it instinctively instead of doing it like you know step by step and intentionally you arrived at the right spot all right History nerd for the win. That's so, what that one. Basically. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was gonna say that's like that's like A plus in psychology for today for you. Oh, fantastic. Um, so one of the, the okay, so actually, so one just specific tip involving fitness, since like said, so like the example that you brought up earlier came to mind, and then I'm curious to you know hear like hear your tips on how this could be crafted possibly for other situations. Um, so one way of fitness, like you mentioned, the bad, like bad workout, something like that. Um, what happens a lot is again, like, you know, we, well, you know, like one, sometimes we expect things to happen faster than they, than they do. A lot of people do that when it comes to fitness. Again, that's one of those things you need to learn. And that's one of those places where either doing research and or having good experienced, helpful, you know, like people in your ear, whether it's reading a book or an actual person doing it or professional can help you realize the actual time cost of improving your fitness and improving your health. Um, the other very important lesson that I would say is gets less attention at the beginning is that progress is not linear. And that is where this other issue comes up a lot, because when you first start training, progress is almost linear. Because, you know, it's like the newbie gains, like, you know, just it's there is a very well documented fact that when beginners start uh, training, particularly strength training, they get gains pretty quickly and and pretty rapidly. Like they're, you know, some of the best, well, the best percentage gains uh, pretty much across. And, you know, that's that's well very well documented and it's more neural than it is muscular. But but the two systems work together. I mean, you can't really, you can't separate them. It is a neuromuscular uh, phenomenon. But said, a lot of people don't necessarily, people might be prepared for it to slow down, but not many people get well prepared for it to actually have down periods in the future. 
And that's because, you know, with health and well, health and wellness and training and strength and conditioning, all of it put together, it's what you're looking for is you're, you, you ideally want to zoom out and get that big picture view that like, okay, if I'm really out here, I want this upward trajectory trend line. But when you zoom in, it actually looks a lot more like squiggles. You know, it's that us that we have periods of ups, periods of downs. You don't realize that, like the periods of downs done, like I said, they, they happen naturally. They also, if handled appropriately, prepare you for the next swing upwards. Like that's when our body is doing a lot of its recovering. That's when it's doing a lot of its adaptation. Like I said, so that they are there for a reason. It's just people aren't mentally like prepared for them or accustomed to them. And even if you are, they don't always happen on the days you want them to. <laughs> it's like, you know, because in the end, you can't control it all. So realizing that it's going to happen is a big one. And that's one of those places where, you know, having a professional or becoming very well versed yourself in crafting fitness plans can help tremendously because they can make a plan that that um, at least minimizes the chances of things like that happening unexpectedly. And then purposefully plans periods inward, like in where to, to let that happen, to almost guide it. You know, uh, we've we've done an entire podcast on deloading before. Like that's where deload weeks can happen. It's a planned down week to let your body recover. So it has more up weeks coming up. Um, yeah. A couple other. Well, and let's 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 comment something about what you're saying yeah. here, because this is good. Um, having someone to give you the more objective, rational thought is actually intensely valuable because um, what you're saying there, mm -hmm. especially because we, we did do this exact thing on deload and rest and everything. Uh, when I have to remind myself to do that, I don't even hear that in my voice. Cause I only hear that in the voices of my numerous coaches and physical therapists who have bitched at me constantly about resting more. But whenever I come up with like, Oh, maybe it's time for deal of the week. I don't hear that in JP's voice. I hear it in Nick's voice and Jack's voice and like somebody else's because for, for reasons that are unclear to me, that objective thought just, mm -hmm. I emotionally want to reject it. I emotionally want to work more and so I actually did need somebody to give me the more objective thought. Uh, and, and that's that's a valuable thing to have. So the thing you're suggesting to people is wonderful. Like if you can't get the objective thought out of your own brain, fine, go get it from somebody else. Uh, as a matter of fact, in a way, we instinctively do that whenever we tell people like, oh, listen to this terrible thing that's happening to me. One of the possibilities is that people will be like, bro, you're, you're, you're actually okay. This is not a big deal. Like mm -hmm. you're going to yeah. get through this just fine. In a, in a way we kind of invite people to do that a little bit for us instinctively, but especially in athletics and in several other areas, finances, you know, you can get a financial advisor, uh, talk to your bank or whatever. Uh, you can get that rational voice from outside of yourself. If it's too difficult to access it from inside of yourself. Yeah, great point. Uh, pointing that out. Um, the last thing I wanted to hit on that, and then I said, see how, like, what else you might draw out for outside of the fitness world, is in a way, like, it. This is almost semantics, but it's a very useful, very useful form of semantics, if you will. It's when it comes to training. You know, there's lots of different ways that you can that you can define an intensity that you want to train at. 
Like, I mean, you can literally say oh, today's supposed to be a hard workout. Today's supposed to be an easy workout. But then, you know, some people go as far as using like percentages of maximum weight. Then there's a, some people use a rating of perceived exertion scale. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways to do it. Uh, in my case, I, I like to keep it simple. And unless I've had somebody, unless I have a very serious athlete who's also been training with me for a few years, I very rarely go into the more specific objective ones like using percentages. But I keep it simple, like just using simple, like one word, like words that people have, but they have specific, they have meanings. Like the biggest ones would be like, you know, if we're looking for the best efforts of the day, when you want your best performance, if I say max, in a workout, that is my that is my cue. So I'm like, okay, we're legitimately going all out. We want the best result we possibly can here. So that also means if I've done my job right, or my coaches have, that in our cases, that we have appropriately set you up where we believe you have a very high chance at giving us a true max, a true like good result, maximum result. However, a lot of times I actually use that very rarely because again, that is a planned, hopeful objective where are we maximizing chances to get to what I use much more often is like work to a heavy set of one or a heavy, this, which means exactly what it sounds like. Like, okay, I want you to get to the best weight you can, or the best weight that simply feels heavy on this exercise for this many reps. But once it literally feels heavy, stop for the day. Like that's, that's the effort that I want you to give. So I'm not looking for a hundred percent. I'm just looking for what is heavy today. That could be a new a, a new max for you. That could be a weight you've never touched before. It could be 85% of what you've done before. It could actually be a lot less, like you said. But it lets you it, it lets you perform while taking complete consideration of how you actually feel on this day. And and again, it it avoids physical burnout, like of the nervous system, but then it also avoids feelings of or at least minimizes possible feelings of, of of like yeah like depressed performance if you didn't do as much as you thought you did etc because like it wasn't calling for a hey this is theoretically your best period this is just this is what you feel like today okay so, so uh that's that's one of your methods to kind of interrupt that sense of not doing enough so you don't get that sense of impending doom i'm i'm is that what you're getting at? It's it's both. It's actually like I said, it's 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 that. Like I said, it does avoid that feeling of failure mentally, but it actually is also a physical tactic. It is an objective tactic by by considering what your where your body is at on that day. So that way, days you're more fatigued, days you're more stressed. Maybe it didn't feel right. Maybe it's just a bad day. Maybe it's a great day. All of those things pretty much get to come together and influence how well you do rather than simply trying to hit a top, top, top number. Because um, especially, you know, athletes or serious lifters, if they feel like they're going for a max, they're going to want to beat their what they've previously done. Like what you mentioned, you bench 315 one day, and then the next time you can only do 305. So that's a mental defeat. Um, because you had a goal that you set for yourself and you're trying to surpass that. So anytime you're going for like a max lift, you you mentally want to surpass the previous one. So uh, instead, we're through the workouts when it's not necessarily about doing a true best ever, but I just want your maximum effort for that day. 
then it, it removes that expectation, or at least it should separate that expectation of, hey, this has to be better than you've ever done before, or you suck. It removes that. And this it, this is also a, a, a dot, like, this has been documented to be bet anywhere between 6 to 14% difference um, than, than a, like, true maximum effort. Like, when people tend to be in that situation of, I have to perform today or I really want to. It's about six, it's six to fourteen percent higher on the on the ratio of like what they can actually hit versus under versus underperform. Okay. So so uh, yeah, you you're you're taking it like super micro, which is basically like uh so if we if we took it off the athletics example, this is kind of also for the person who can easily feel really bad and feel a sense of uh uh upsetness at themselves if they weren't like maximally productive at work so so you're you're almost kind of like proposing uh shrinking it way down and and kind of deciding in a day what are the actual goalposts here uh instead of just assuming like i should be maximally productive i should lift as much as i can oh, okay i, I finally well, see where it, it took me a minute to figure out what yeah, where the world we're going the with that was key yeah defining the goalposts that was key. um yeah okay so, so that's good for like like ultra micro and, and that, that that's actually really good for for the work folks uh who get really focused around productivity because the um there's an easy myth to fall into. And a lot of people get a lot of very consistent upsetness about this, that uh, just like your max lift, uh, whatever your like maximum productivity is that you should be able to do that just every single day Yes. on any yeah. given day and being in contact with that, like you can't do that what would actually be useful for not getting a sense of impending doom for, for the people who are very vulnerable to that. Uh, you know, I've been vulnerable to that in the past. I, I assume most entrepreneur or business owner type folks are. Uh, and I imagine you probably have been. So, mm -hmm. yeah, defining your goalposts and knowing you can't do max effort every day is, I would say, that, yeah, that's probably a pretty good point. Yeah, because really it's like a strategy. And I really like the, I really like the defining goalposts. It's like a strategy for minimizing your chances of disappointment or feeling like it's a failure. Like, like minimizing your, minimizing, you feeling like you need to do a certain amount and maximizing your chances of feeling like you're going to actually do better and, or, and like, or, or win, so to speak. Cause yeah, like, it's not like, okay, you don't have to achieve this, but if it is a good day and you do hit a good max, then that's going to feel doubly awesome. <laughs> cause it's like, cause it's like, Hey, like I just set a new PR and I wasn't even, you know, necessarily supposed to today because it was not a max day. Um, mm -hmm. it's funny cause actually just, uh, you know, we talked like yesterday I was listening to a book on marketing and, I I am not particularly saying that I approve of this exact strategy, but they mentioned, uh, you know, pre-selling expectations lower gradually over time um until you find a drop-off point but then using that just so like the sense of accomplishment was even higher when someone does come through and maximizing the gap <laughs> between expected level of accomplishment and actual level of accomplishment so it's just like in a way of almost minimizing the promise or like minimizing your own sense of like what i have to do 
but then when you overshoot it, feeling that much better. That was that, like a um, that's a good. That, that's a that's a workable sales technique. That's tricky internally because most most people will have a sense of exactly how much they're they're deceiving themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, that's like I'm not. I can't. I, I'm the type of person I can't lie to myself very well. <laughs> so. no, most people cannot. Matter of fact, that's actually why you have to be very careful when you do uh, cognitive behavior therapy, because a lot of therapists will accidentally try and sell people like like way over frilly positive thinking that is actually untrue and people will know if they're using positive thoughts that are untrue and it mm. you'll eventually reject them uh so you actually have to really make sure you're you're selling positive thoughts that are objectively true uh, although i mean the nice thing is uh since you can't lie to yourself if you if you really kind of deconstruct the impending doom stuff it works the same way because if you can get in contact with the fact that you are not anywhere near destruction, uh, it's way easier to separate from that emotion. Mm. Uh, so as, as we move into, uh, uh, as we, as we move into, to kind of like the final phases of the show, I want to, I want to really reemphasize the ability to deconstruct that a lot, uh, because I, I say that, but I, I notice whenever I do it with people, like in a counseling session or otherwise, a lot of people need help the first few times deconstructing stuff. So, so you you actually do a really good job if you happen to, to have any other scenarios. I'm going to give one scenario. Uh, but if you happen to have any other ones that, uh, that you can lob me, this would be good because I'm basically going to do a couple of sample deconstructions to help move out of impending doom. Uh, so one of the, yeah, I did the one about the finances. One of the ones, uh, that a lot of like entrepreneur types and executive types will experience is missing metrics, you know, mm -hmm. profit and loss won't be where it's supposed to be, or, uh, X, I was supposed to get X number of customers this month, but I only got this. Uh, I, you know, missed uh, I was supposed to, to grow by this many employees and I missed it, whatever. Um, so if we recognize that the sense of impending doom is basically making a non-survival situation a survival situation, then we would look at, okay, you missed this metric. What does it actually mean that you missed the metric? Does it mean next month you're fired if you don't make, make it? Well, 99% of the time that is not accurate unless you biffed it way worse than most people do. Uh, so what really happens? Most of the time you would actually have to experience three, four, five months of missing that metric to experience a problem, whether it's your own business or business you work for. So, okay, so you got four more months to bring it up. Do you not know how to bring it up? Do you really, honest to God, not know what happened? Well, actually, I do know what happened. Well, okay. So now you have several steps to make sure it doesn't happen over the next four months. And keep chewing on exactly like what all has to happen to make sure that destruction doesn't occur. Most of the time, it'll be numerous, numerous, numerous steps before anything horrible happens. And then... One of the things we would uh, uh, do for the person who is not their company, like they, they're just an executive, they work for somebody. Well, okay, let's say you do miss it for five months. How long until 
the home's repossessed and you're now living out of a cardboard box. Oh, nine more months after that. So even if you do nothing and you just like sleep under your desk for the next fifty for the next five months and get fired, you still have nine months after that. So you're 15, 14, 15 months away from destruction. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it's so far off that, that people can then start to get a little dismissive of it. So that so that that's a good one for the business productivity side. I don't know if you happen to have another one I can deconstruct off the top well, of your head. Yes, in a way. And because we also haven't necessarily touched on it, but that is um so sense of impending doom, impending doom. When yes. it comes to, uh, we, 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 we needed we needed like a like a sound snare to go with that. Those, yeah, really big like bass sounds. It just yeah. super my voice. Uh, but when this happens with uh, relationships, um, like fights, bad like uh, fights, and you know like um, mm. you know whether it's losing a friendship or you know just have like when just a bad fight and it's like okay again like we've said I mean sometimes it could be big but in general you know how, how like ways to tell the difference from that one and strategies about how, how to move on yeah so, so uh that's a pretty good one because a lot of people have a lot of social anxiety although i'm going to do this deconstruction with the recognition that people who have uh, anxiety over relationships tend to have great difficulty employing this so if you if you have trouble with this at first don't don't feel too bad because that seems to be a a, a trend Um, but it would be the same thing. So let's say, oh, I said, uh, I said something unskillful to somebody I care about. And, you know, I mean, let's just pretend they actually did get mad. Uh, they got mad at me. Well, what's the destruction condition? Losing the relationship. So, all right, they got mad at me. We deconstruct. Did they get so mad at me that the relationship is actually over? They said, never, ever speak to me again. Don't you dare call me, lose my number, block you on social media. Probably not. I mean, every once in a while, somebody does something that dumb and that unskillful, but not usually. Uh, so, okay. So they didn't, they didn't ditch. Clearly the door is still open. All right. Do you really not know what to do to start salvaging this and making sure you don't lose the relationship? You made the mad. What's step one? Apologize 99% of the time. So, okay, I know I know what my first step is. I got to apologize and see if I can, you know, reconcile. And then let's pretend that the apology is difficult. Well, okay, if they'll still talk to you, you're still not that close to destruction because you'll you can apologize. And even if it doesn't land well, they're still with you. So what would you then have to do if, if you were going to lose this relationship? What else do you have to do? You probably have to to make them mad a bunch more times, especially if it's a long a long term relationship, like you know, childhood friendship or a you know, love partnership. Most of the time, we can figure out, oh yeah, actually, they're as long as I don't make them that mad again for a little while, like like I can rebuild some relationship credit. Uh, so destruction is still fairly far off, although it's it's harder to do that as objectively as you can with a job. Um, but how many times do you really lose a relationship over you said one unskillful thing, they got mad and they never spoke to you again? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely thankfully a more rare occurrence than I think people tend to think of in the moment when, when that's happened. Yeah. Although we do have to acknowledge it happens every once in a while over, over some, some 
although online interactions are different, but people will do that online. But deep connected friendships, deep connected love relationships, this this is way less likely to happen. There you go. Awesome. Uh, good stuff, man. Any other closing thoughts you want to give our people? No, just bullet points. Uh, try and mistrust senses of impending doom and really figure out how close is destruction. Figure out how many steps there actually are between you and some sort of horrifying result. Usually there's anywhere between 10 and 50 steps before anything terrible actually happens. And then try and be more connected with just like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm fine. But recognize your brain is going to want to try and turn silly stuff into survival scenarios. So you'll, mm -hmm. this is a battle that is never fully won. <clears throat> you get good at it, you can make the battle short, but your brain will always try to whisper something to <laughs> you uh, at some point for a sense of impending doom. Oh, our silly human brains. <laughs> oh, our silly human brains. Uh, 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 one of my offset phrases uh, whenever I rant about this is, brains is dumb. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right, brother. Good time as always. Hope you guys listening, you know, get something valuable out of this, uh, something that you can just make these situations a little bit shorter, a little bit better and easier to handle for you. Again, uh, share the word about the show. Like, again, we have a great time doing this. Uh, it's awesome. Anytime we get some feedback coming back, whether it's like a text message, a comment on a broadcast, anything um, about people really getting into these episodes. Again, Asymmetric Habits can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We release one episode in the middle of every week. Um, generally after the live broadcast here, they can usually be found the next week on the, in the podcast. And then we also release some of the two years of archived episodes we'd already had before, uh, in, in weeks in between too. So good mixture of old and new content content, uh, in the podcast. So again, on behalf of JP and myself, catch you guys later. See y'all.